book of Esther. And so um, we're going to dive right in there. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can use the table of contents if you'd like. It's in the Old Testament. You'll see Nehemiah, Ezra, and then you'll jump in there to Esther as well. We're going to be in chapter 1 and 2 today. Uh, we're going to be there in just a few moments. But before I do that, I'd like to pray for us and ask God just to speak to our hearts. And uh, can you believe it? We are in full-fledged summer mode, right? I mean, it is June 4th. The kids are out of school. Uh, and it hasn't really felt like a low country summer yet, though, right? It's been a little like rainy and cool. Um, but we're going to jump in there. I'm sure the humidity is going to come back real soon, right? Um, but we're going to jump in today, and I just want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts, and um, we're going to continue on from there. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for today. Uh, God, we know that today is a gift, and uh, we just uh, relish in that, that you are with us, that you are walking with us, God. And I pray that uh, I will decrease so that you may increase. I pray that your word will move and work and just penetrate hearts and minds and that our hearts and minds will be open to your word and to your truth, God. And as we head into a new season, maybe a new season of life, uh, God, as we head into a new season of, of summer where life changes just a little bit, God, I pray that we can just take a moment to take a deep breath, to soak in your word, to seek your wisdom, to seek your guidance in all that we do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Uh, I began to think about Esther in the book of Esther, and uh, it kind of reminded me of the first time that I went to a play. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a play before, and maybe you've been to a school play or uh, a Broadway play before, but I remember going to like a big-time Broadway play in Atlanta, and it was for Lion King. Okay, so I grew up kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, and so Lion King was my jam. It was the, the movie for me. Every one of my kids out held up and said, ah, ta-ta-da-banya, right? Like everybody, like I had to do it just because of Lion King. And But I remember going, and I, and I didn't grow up going to plays and going to plays on Broadways. And so I remember being the first time, and I, I got to be honest with you, like I, like August is my favorite time because I love football. I love NFL and they're hitting each other and they're sweating. And I'm like, yes, right. I'm like, am I going to, am I going to like this play? Right. And so they get started. And if you've ever been to a play before Broadway, um, it is pretty incredible, right? Like eye opening, like you see these people come out and the outfits they're wearing and the time that they put in and the talent that they have. And you're just like, it almost takes your breath away. You're like, <gasps> right? Like this is amazing. And then the, the people dressed up in the lions and zebras were coming out and they were, this one lady was singing that kind of song, right? Like, da, 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 right? And I was like, this is amazing, right? I was getting like chill bumps and, I was like, wow, I love this. And I love plays because there's there's different scenes that they put out. And I think my favorite thing about plays is not only the talent, but how everybody comes together. Right. Like everybody comes together and they create this beautiful symphony of sound and acting and and all of these different pieces that have to come together to make it great. And I begin to think about Esther and in a play, there's different acts, right? And there's different scenes and scenarios that have to be set up. And when I read the book of Esther, it's really written almost like a story, almost like a play. And you would actually do a really great justice if you sat down and read the whole thing at one time. 
uh, because it really just flows and it's hard. It's harder to do actually what we're about to do and break it down by chapters. Okay, because the story just everything just flows and meshes well together. And you're going to see there's going to be moments where I go, hey, underline this verse. Remember this scene because it's going to come back up later down the road and you're going to want to know this. You're going to want to remember this. Uh, And that's the way that Esther is set up. And so uh, as we read this, and I'm telling you, it's kind of like one of those stories where it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Like you're you're leaning in, you're like, that's in the Bible, right? Like that's happened, that's history, like all of these things, right? And Esther has all of that. It it captivates us to see all the different pieces. And so a couple of things to set up the book of Esther uh, to get us in the right mindset is uh, it's one of the only two books that's named after a woman. We see Esther, right? And we see Ruth as well. But then also um, we see the instance here where it's the only book in the Bible where God God is not mentioned specifically. You're not going to see a verse in the book of Esther where it goes, where it labels and says God here uh, brings this. It's the only book in the Bible. So it's pretty fascinating to see. But the amazing thing is, is we're going to see uh, God woven into all of these pieces of what we're going to talk about today. And it's really made up of a few main characters. Okay, and so a few main people here. I don't say characters as in it is a fictional story. I'm meaning it's who we're going to focus in on as we're talking about this real, true story that happened here in the Old Testament. We see that Esther, of course, is the main person that we're going to look at, but also uh, she's an orphan who was adopted by her uncle Mordecai. Okay, and so we have Mordecai, who's her uncle, who is a really kind of an official that we see here. And then we have a man named Haman who is playing. You have uh, Mordecai and Esther, who really you're going to see God uses uh, for his glory. And then you're going to see Haman, who's really leaning towards what the world has and is leaning towards what is evil. And he's trying to do evil acts. And then we also have King Xerxes that's in this whole mix uh, that's kind of uh, the, the one in authority that you're really going to see woven through this entire story. There's other people in here, but those are going to be the four main people that you see over and over and over again. And I'm a little bit of a history nerd, so I like to look up the date and time and know when this thing fits in. And so uh, during this particular time of Esther, if you remember, we studied the book of Daniel, I think last summer. And when we looked at the book of Daniel, we know that uh, when the uh, Persian Empire came in, they took all the Jewish people captive. And they took all those people. We had Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took all those Jewish people captive. And uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. And so later on down the road, we see that Nehemiah came back. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, he uh, felt a burden in his heart to go back. And he rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Right? He got special permission, went back, rebuilt the wall. So Jerusalem has been rebuilt back now. So we see Nehemiah did that. And then Ezra comes in as kind of the spiritual leader to get the Jews. Jewish nation back on track. We see Nehemiah, Ezra, and then Esther is jumped in right here in this scenario. About 480, 450, 500 BC is where this time frame is. And so uh, just so that we know just where it fits in the Old Testament, where it fits in the Bible, uh, we see that Jerusalem is being built back up and most of the Jewish people have gone back 
to Jerusalem now. So they've gone back to Jerusalem, but there's some remnant of Jewish people left in the Persian nation, which is modern-day Iran. And that's where we see the book of Esther. They're still a part of this uh, non-Jewish culture who they, they don't pursue God. They have a lot of different aspects that you're going to see going on here uh, straight down from their leadership, King Xerxes. And uh, we're going to jump right in here to really kind of uh, set up the scene for us. And so um, as we jump into Esther chapter 1, uh, we have King Xerxes and he is getting ready uh, to go into like a four-year march to take over the, the, the uh, Greek Empire. And so he's launching this up. And so, of course, what does he do? He tries to rally everyone and he sets up a party, okay, a celebration, a conglomerate of people all coming together, the royal uh, guard and all of these people, and they begin to party for six months okay six months that's a, that's that's what's about to happen here we're going to see this and just so you know that i'm not making this stuff up esther chapter one everybody still doing okay and as we jump into this um there's going to be really four big themes that we hone in on today and whenever you read the Old Testament, uh, we want to read it in its en entirety and we read it in the scope of how God is working and woven through the Old Testament. And so uh, the principles that we're going to talk about today, just like in the play, we're kind of laying that first act, that first foundational piece of going. This is going to give us a framework for the whole rest of the story of Esther. And honestly, the principles that we're talking about, you'll see it'll be able to overlay uh, principles that we read in the New Testament, too. So. Esther chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 4. It says, The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of opulent wealth in his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. So what's happening here is he set up a party, set up a, a, a banquet, so to speak, that lasted 180 days. Then that one ended and he's like, you know what? We need to go seven more days, right? Let me just ramp this thing up. And so he throws another party and it says that he uh, really is intentional in inviting the other officials. So for these seven days is what is happening here. And then we read in scripture. So just to save us from time from sitting here, just reading both all these two chapters. What's going to happen is, is that we see that he has a queen, right? And Queen Vashti is having a separate party for the ladies that are all the official ladies. So she's having a separate party and then he's having another party with all the diplomats, right? And so what happens is, is they uh, begin to continue to party and what's happening here is the wine is flowing, the drinks are flowing, all of this is happening, right? And I, you can only imagine what kind of decisions are going to be made in this kind of setting, right? So we get here in verse 10 and this is what happens that we see here. Uh, we see a lot of this. Uh, you're going to see this almost like a theme, especially with kings in the Old Testament. And I think it's something that we can even see today that we have to be careful of. But we see this posturing begin to take place. This, I am the king and look how great I am. Look at my splendor. Look at all. Look, we just had wine flowing for six months for everybody to see. Let me parade my whole nation in here so they can see all of my gold. They can see all of my possessions. Right. And this this big I call it peacocking. Right. This whole like a peacock when they're trying to attract their mate they get real big and their fans go out they're like look at me look at my colors look at what's happening here so this posturing begins to take place and I think anytime because that doesn't just happen to kings right that happens to us there's moments in our life where we feel like we have to 
right, begin to posture and go, oh, this is what's going on in my life. Look how good it is, right? And I think, honestly, in the last 10 years has probably become more prevalent because of social media, right? We don't post our valleys, right? We don't, we don't usually post, my d- today was terrible, sinned, right? Like, we don't post those things. Like, usually it's like, let me get the angle right, and I'm going to take 17 different ones so the sun sets perfect, and the sun's coming out right here, and I got like an angel halo, right? Like, look at me, a great day, right? And so because we post that, social media, and not that social media is always bad, but it can be used for that aspect, right? It can create this idea of, I need to show my best side all the time. I need to have, all. if people really saw my hurting side, then maybe they won't have a relationship with me. Maybe they won't think uh, uh, more of me, right? And so as we get here, we see more of this begin to happen with the king. And so on, uh, in verse 10, we pick up back in the story, and it says, on the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits, because of the wine, and we'll let you interpret that. He told the seven Inuits who attended him, Mahuman, so if you're looking for names here, just write these down. Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagatha, 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 yeah, okay. Zethar, and when I first read this, I said carcass. I was like, wow, what a name. It's probably more Sarsus here. To bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. The king was furious and he burned with anger, right? And so he, the wine is flowing. He's drunk, right? And he wants to continue to show off the things that he has. And for him, one of the things that he had was his queen. And his queen was known for her beauty. And so he sends these Inuits out and they go and grab the queen. And she's having her own separate party, right? And he says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to parade through this party. I want everyone to gaze on your beauty not because of her, but because they wanted, he wanted them to look at him, right? They're going, look, this is my queen. This is who I have. And so he asked her to come in and then Queen Vashti, right? She comes and she kind of stands up and she's like, no, I'm not going to remove myself. Some scholars believe that he wanted her to only come in her crown. Right. Wearing only her crown and parade through the party. And for her, she was like, no, I know y'all been partying for one hundred and eighty days. I'm not going to come and parade myself because who knows what's going to happen when I'm there and what's happening here. Right. And so, of course, that hurt his what ego. Right. And all of a sudden, his ego is going, are you kidding me? And so he pulls off to the side and get this right, because the people who we put around us is very important. And so he, all his wise men come around him. And guess what? They're like, hey, hey, king, you, you can't let this go down. You can't let this happen because if you do, every wife in the entire kingdom is going to start to abuse this. They're going to say, no, I don't have to listen to you as an official. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you. And they're just going to rebel and it's going to be chaos. It's going to be anarchy, right? And so they're like, you can't allow this. You got to do something, king. And the king's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. 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 Like in his ear. Yeah. I mean, we see the, the thought process that's happening here at these officials, this system that is broken, this idea that the king, he keeps trying to move into his ego and trying to keep his ego in check. And then the people that are around him, they're not trying to calm him down. 
They're what? They're adding fuel to the fire, right? They're going, oh, you're angry. You should be angry. Yeah, she shouldn't have done that. She should have listened to you. She should have made all of these things, right? And they're feeding that fire. Maybe uh, maybe you've had friends before, right? Where uh, you have one person who's feeding the fire. And then one person who's trying to bring you down so you can think clearly, right? And so we, it's, I think it's important to have those people around us to figure out what we need to do and know us well enough to be able to do that. And so uh, two things I want to pick out here before we move on, because I think it's incredibly important, because the reason why the king is doing this is because he wants to provide this front, right? He wants his reputation to be that I am the king. Look at everything that I have. Look how rich I am. Look at this beautiful queen I have. Look at all of of these different pieces. But if we go back in time and look in 1 Samuel when God is getting ready to pick his new king, and he's like, this is the king that I'm going to pick, and this is the king that I want to lead, and this is the king that I, God, want to have in place, and this is who I want to see, right? And so they go to this house of Jesse, and there's, there's these brothers that begin to walk by, and the first brother walks by, and the Bible describes him as, as a really tall, attractive man. Like, if you were just to look at the outside, you'd go, yep, he's our next king. He's ready to go. And so he parades these people through of going, maybe that's the next king, and Samuel, who's the prophet goes nope not them nope not them nope that's not who God wants that not that yeah you may it may look like they fit the part but that's not who God wants and then this is what God says in first Samuel chapter 16 it says but the Lord said to Samuel don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him the Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them that's a good line right there he doesn't see the way the things that you see them people judge by outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart God says, I want a king whose heart is ready and prepared for me. And if you remember in the New Testament, who did Jesus get upset with? When was Jesus flipping tables and creating whips? Yes, in the Bible, right? And and hitting people with his whip and and pulling beards. When was Jesus furious? It's when the religious leaders were stepping up and they were so worried about their outward appearance of what they looked like that their hearts, though, were so far from God. Jesus was going, he used language like, you're like whitewashed tombs. Right? Like you're like a dish that you pull out and the outside looks pristine, but I can't put my, my good tuna salad in there because it's so filthy, right? Because the inside is dirty, saying what I want is from the inside out. I want your character to be intact. I want your heart to be in the right place because if your heart is in the right place, it will overflow in the way you talk, the way that you act, the way that you treat people that are around you, the way that you lead as king. And then when people come in and they try to stroke your ego, right? You won't give in to that because you know that the Lord cares more about the heart than the posture. We kind of say it this way. Aim for character and you will hit a good reputation. If we aim for character and then just let reputation take care of itself. But if we just focus on our reputation, what are we going to do? We're going to start peacocking and posturing and going, I need my reputation to be built up. I need people to say this about me. I need to look like this, right? But God goes, no, I want you to focus in on your character and who I'm making you to be. And let me worry about your reputation. Let me build you up. Let me let other people experience you. And then if you live that way, right your character over reputation your reputation will take care of itself and we see that with David over and over again there's a moment where he lost his head a little bit right Uh, but we see that over because he's human we see that over and over with David 
I mean, so many times people try to get him to kill King Saul, right? Overthrow, take it over, make this happen, right? It's your time, make this happen, right? And David keeps going, no, it's in Lord's, the Lord's hands. It's his timing. I know he's called me to be king, but I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on him to make this happen, to, to push this forward. And so we see this over and over again. I think another thing, just kind of a small piece here. It says that the king, was he was full of anger, right? The Bible says full of anger. And we see this in Proverbs 29, 11. It says a full gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man Get, uh, sorry, let's go back over again. You guys good? Good? Okay. It's me that's messing up. Proverbs 29 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And he's talking about, I'm giving full vent, right? When I fully let go, there's no control. There's no self-control in there. If I fully let my anger go, and my anger is now controlling me, controlling my emotions, controlling my decisions, right? It begins to change. And I can look back many times over in my life, uh, a little nugget is, is don't make decisions when emotions are high. Right. When my emotions go high, my uh, my ability to make rational decisions goes a little lower. Have you noticed that? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I had the text written, the email written, and I could just feel my end. Like it's just I'm angry. My emotions are high. And then I'm just like, delete, 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 delete. Right. Like go back, go back, because I've sent the email when emotions were high and it didn't end well because my emotions were high. They took over my rational thinking and emotion. Jesus had emotions, right? Like God created us. We're made in the image of God and he gave us emotions. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are signals of what's happening in us, right? So emotions, don't, they don't need to sit in the driver's seat, but we also don't need to stuff them in the trunk, right? Like they need, we need to listen to them and going, okay, I'm angry. Why am I angry? Why did what they just say make me angry? Why did that happen? Why did that make my emotions go through the roof? And I can dig down to the root of going, well, maybe they were they were hurting my ego or hurting my or whatever it is. And we get down to the root of it. And then I can have that conversation with God of going, now I can grow spiritually. Now I can have a rational conversation because I'm allowing the emotions to settle a little bit because we see what the king is getting ready to do is he's burned with anger. He listens to the guys who are adding fuel to the fire. And then what does he do? He cast out Queen Vashti. He's like, because you wouldn't do that, because you wouldn't put on your crown and become this trophy, this uh, this thing of possession that I have, and you won't walk around and do exactly what I say. Uh, you know what? You're no longer queen. Right? You, that's it. Right. He throws her out. And then we see the Bible says when he comes down from his wine, when he comes down from his anger, it's like he looks around and goes, oh, boy, wait, like, uh, oh, I don't have a queen anymore, right? Like, uh, what do we need to do now? It says, I love that part in the Bible if you get a chance to read it. And it says when he comes down from the party, when he comes down from the emotions and the emotions settle, it says he begins to look around and go, whoa, what did I do? I made a decision. I can't backtrack on that decision now. Now, how am I going to use this? What's going to happen as we see this? And as the story continues, this 
is where we see Esther pick up. This is where Esther kind of comes into the scene where the curtain draws back and Esther walks in here because what happens is, as they create this elaborate plan, uh, the wise men get together again, you know, getting a, a sense of what's happening here. And they begin to make the decision of going, you know what? Let's go around the entire kingdom and find the most beautiful women that you can find, right? And we're going to put them through all of these beauty treatments and get them ready. And then they're going to spend some time with the king, right? They're going to spend some time with the king. And whichever one pleases the king the most, you can pick as the next queen. And so all they begin to go out and select these women. Now, this is where the Bible gets a little hazy and people can take different uh, interpretations from it. Some say Esther and Mordecai heard about it and they ran up and volunteered. Hey, take Esther. She can do that. Or uh, some people can read it because it says that Esther was chosen. Right. So they maybe saw her and, and uh, pulled her in. Now, either one of those, it kind of uh, adds to the story, to the suspense a little bit because of what I just said right they bring Esther to the kingdom and if we're reading it in bridge kids we leave this part out but uh, if we're reading the entire Old Testament Bible it says that that Esther comes in and spends the night with the king and the next morning he comes and after this fact he decides wow I like Esther. She, she is here in this moment. Some people believe that um, Esther didn't really have a choice kind of in this system. They said, you're going to come. The king wants to see you and you have to come to the king now, right? And all of a sudden she felt this pressure because you really see Esther over and over again. Uh, it says here later that we're going to read that uh, Mordecai was kind of uh, coaching her and telling her what to do and she was really kind of going, okay, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And so you see this young woman, I really kind of picture her as like a uh, just kind of being tossed around a little bit to this moment of, of life. And these people are kind of pushing her around in these different scenarios and as she's wrestling with. But here's what I want to say is sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, we pick out these Old Testament people and we make them the hero of the story. Right. We'll pick out Esther. We'll pick out David. Right. And we'll talk about the story of David and Goliath. And we will make David the hero of the story. And he did have great faith. Right. But if we read the Bible, they are not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. And every person that we read all throughout Scripture, you're going to find, wow, they're broken. Wow, they didn't make all the best decisions in the world, right? Like we even see King David, a man after God's own heart. He brought a woman in, had an affair with her, and then had her husband killed, right? Like we see these pieces. And if you read the Old Testament, and uh, as you read through the stories, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Right? Like you just see this, like the, the people that are broken and make mistakes over and over again. But I don't say that for you and I to be discouraged about people. I say it causes you and I to lean in of going, wow, God is really that good, right? Because he can take broken people and turn it around for his glory. He can take broken systems and turn it into glory, his glory. He can take our mess and turn it into a message. Amen. We see this begin to happen. This principle, if you're taking notes, God can use broken people for his glory. We see this over and over again in scripture. And as we read the Old Testament, especially we see the hero of the story is God. 
And He is the one that sustains us. He is the one, even in our brokenness, pulls us in to His work and His plan. And we see His plan begin to happen over and over again. And so as we lean into that, my prayer is that we will be encouraged by the Word of God. We'll be encouraged by this story of going, even though people may not have made all the best decisions in the world, God can still use my brokenness. God can still use me where I am if I'm willing to fully surrender to him and just pursue him after that story and as we get into Esther uh, chapter 2 we see this begin to play out everything I just told you and then Esther is chosen to be queen right he she takes that time and her beauty and her splendor and the time that she spent with a king something stood out about her right some kind of favor began to show and she became the next queen that's going to happen here and all of this is just laying the foundation and so we're going to read here in, in Esther chapter 2 starting in verse 16 everybody still doing okay do I need to walk the aisles no, we're good? Okay. All right, here we go. Ellen said yes. All right, uh, verse 16, it says, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any other young woman. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. That's one of the ones we need to hone in and underline. That's going to be important all throughout the story. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials declaring a public holiday for the providences and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official. That's another important piece. Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was following Mordecai's directions. This is kind of what I alluded to earlier. She was following Mordecai's directions just as she did as she lived in his home. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate to the king's Inuits, Bithana, there's another name there. Here we go. Bithana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king of the private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. This is a big, big piece. Underline this, highlight this, remember this scene right here. And gave Mordecai the credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded. This is another big piece. This was all recorded in the book of history of King Xerxes' reign. That's a, that may, if you're just reading it, maybe in your quiet time, you're reading chapter two, you're like, oh, those are some cool facts. Those are some cool moments but these are massive these are huge you're going to see this come up again that's going to change the trajectory of everything that happens in this whole story that God begins to use and so this is one I want to, uh, a couple two things that we're going to talk about and then I'm going to close here but the first one is is that as you look at the first two chapters you notice that God is not mentioned here in this Bible or, or here in this book Esther right we see this and from the outside looking in uh, you're going to see that it seems like like God is hidden, right? And I think about that for our lives, that sometimes we're in seasons where it feels like God 
is hidden. I don't know if you've been there before where you feel like God is not speaking. He's not giving me direction. I don't know what to do. God, I just feel like I can't see you in my life. I can't feel you. I can't experience you, God. Where are you? And in those moments, just like in the book of Esther, we have to look for the fingerprint of God. So if you're taking notes, when God seems hidden, look for his fingerprints. When God seems hidden in our lives, we have to look for his fingerprints. And his fingerprints, as the Bible describes, it could be the the smallest thing for us in our in our time frame we have the bible right like this is god's breath breathed out to us but in our lives we even see in romans chapter one where it talks about the grandeur of god and how we can see the fingerprint of god in nature and in his creation and when the sunset comes up and we see that new day it says his mercies are new every day that sunset is a fingerprint of god when we see the rainbow in the sky that rainbow in the sky is a promise set in noah's time that God will never flood the earth again. We see that after a rain, we see that we're going, God's fingerprint is right there inside of my life. We see a friend send us that random text, right? That random encouragement right there. Boom. God placed it on their heart. That's the fingerprint of God moving and working in the world around us. And it could feel like the smallest of things, but when God seems hidden, we have to lean in and look for his fingerprints, right? We have to look for those moments because in the moments where he feels distance, it's an opportunity for God to grow our faith, to stretch our faith in him. And so if we lean in and trust God to say, God, even though I can't hear you maybe as clearly as I once did, I'm leaning and I'm pursuing after you. I'm clinging to what your word says because the last thing that I want us to get here, and this was a big theme in the book of Daniel, and this is going to be a big theme, honestly, throughout all of Scripture. And I want to close with this. It says that God's promises and purposes cannot be stopped. God's promises and purposes cannot be stopped. I love this in the book of Job. And if you want to read another fascinating story, Job 42, verse 2. This is what Job says. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. As he's speaking to God, God's promises and his purposes cannot be stopped. As we look at the book of Esther, right, we're reading this story. And later you're going to see a man named Haman come in who wants to wipe out the Jewish people. And we look at that story and go, oh no, God's people are about to lose. We look at the book of Daniel and the the Jewish people are taken captive. And we go, oh no, it looks like God's people are about to lose, right? You get the two people come to the valley where uh, Goliath comes down down and then this little 14 year old kid David comes up to bring his brother's lunch and you're like oh no it looks like God's people are going to lose right and then we get to the New Testament we see Jesus on the cross and everybody's like oh no it looks like God's people are going to lose right and then we look at the New Testament they're trying to plant churches in the book of Acts and they meet opposition and the apostle Paul is shipwrecked and beaten and and uh, the early disciples are uh, cast out to all of these islands and we're like oh no it looks like we're going to lose the first martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death and the Christians are scattered out everywhere. And they're like, oh, no, it looks like we're going to lose. And we may be looking around at the world today going, oh, no, it looks like we're going to lose. Oh, no, it looks like evil 
may actually prevail. Like, oh no, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. David slaughtered Goliath and came out victorious. We see the book of Daniel that we get some of the most prevalent revelation in his time through the book of Daniel, through the prophet Daniel. We see in Esther, I'm not going to tell you yet, but we see all of these pieces, how God's promises continue. And I'm telling you, I've read the book of Revelation. I see Jesus is coming back and he is going to win. We will live in victory. Evil will not prevail. Good will prevail. The Lord will win. That we can guarantee it. You and I can walk differently because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. The book of Esther is powerful. The Old Testament is powerful. One, because it's God's word. But most importantly, it reminds us of the providence of God. It reminds us that he is still in control. Even in the moments where he feels hidden and we can't hear him, we don't feel like he's working, but God is going to continue to trust for me. Aim for character even in the darkest moments. Aim for who, what I'm creating you to be, right? And God's going, remember, I'll use broken people. And then when God seems hidden, we start to point out God's fingerprint. Sometimes we need people in our lives to go, look, that's God's fingerprint. Look, that's God's fingerprint. And you're like, that's God's finger. He's still there. He's still walking with you. He's still guiding you. And then ultimately, you and I can sit back because Jesus is on the throne and he is still in control and his purposes and his plan will prevail. It cannot be stopped. I'm telling you, it cannot be stopped. And that's how we live in faith. We don't live for victory. We live from victory, right? Jesus has already won and he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is God himself dwelling in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us as believers. And that is the promise that you and I can hold on to that we can cling to. And so as I close today, I just want to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. And, I, and as I talked about these four different things, which one was for you today? Was it, hey, I need to aim for character. I've been too worried about my reputation. What's going on around me? Or God uses broken people for his glory. You know, I, I just I need that for myself and I need that also for the people that I'm talking to, the people that I encounter every single day. Or is it I, I just feel like God is hidden and I need to look for his fingerprints in my life or I need to sit back and take a deep breath because God's promises and purposes cannot be stopped. I need to rest in that fact. Now, we still have work to do, right? But we work from that place of knowing that God is still in control. He is still on the throne. And if you've never given your life to Christ before, I'd love to pray with you today. I'd love to give you the opportunity of going, you know what? No matter where you are, we just sang that song. You just heard this story. I'd love to pray with you right after church and help you walk through those steps of what it looks like to come to know Christ and to have a relationship with him. And if you want more information, you can fill out a connect card. We can pray together. All of those different things. And we will we will uh, celebrate what God is doing in your life as well. But for us as a church, for us to lean in on that, for us to be reassured of that, what God is doing. And this is just the first two chapters of Esther, right? Man, this thing is slam packed. We're getting ready to go into chapter three and four. And I'm telling you, chapter four is kind of that, that big apex moment of the play, the big moment of the story. And so we're going to lean into that and see how God continues to use broken people. But I pray today that we as a church will remember this. We'll cling to these things 
And we'll begin to pursue after what God has for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth, your power, and your grace, God. God, thank you for uh, divinely ordaining the written word, God. So that we can go back and look at these stories of how you moved all throughout history. God, and I pray that if there's anybody listening today that maybe uh, they feel like you were hidden for a moment or or, or maybe they're just going through such a a dark time in their life. God, I pray that uh, you illuminate how you're working all around them, how your fingerprint is all around us, God, in this world. And I pray that we'll rest in the fact that your promises and your truth, it will it will prevail, God, that it cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped, God. And I pray that we rest and lean on that fact. God, I pray that we don't have to prove anything because we live from full approval from your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross, God. I pray that you help us to keep our emotions at bay. Give us wisdom as we listen to what they're trying to tell us, God, but yet we take every thought captive begin to be more like you, God. God, as we look at the world around us and it may seem like evil is prevailing, God. But your word says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and God in us is the light of the world. And God, I pray that even though it may seem dark, but I pray that we remember as soon as we walk into that place, the Holy Spirit walks with us that light walks in, that light pushes back darkness and it cannot coexist. God, I pray that your promises remind us of your goodness, of your grace, and that you're the hero of every story, God. I pray that we remember that you're the hero of our story, God, and that we want to make your name famous. I pray that we surrender to you, surrender to you, will God. Guide us in everything that we do. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.